Good morning. Will you stand with me as I read the passage of Scripture? Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate, the gate for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. May we only hear the voice of Jesus this morning. You may be seated. Thanks, Buzz. Good morning, everyone. Love you too. Thank you. Hasn't it been a great journey? 30 years together. Uh, wow. I want to not only thank you for being here, but thank everyone who's watching online, uh, those of you in the tent and those of you in the chapel. Thanks, you guys. This is such a, a huge event for our church. And thank you, Cousin Chris, for being here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let me ask a question to just break the ice. How many of you uh, started this journey with us when we were back at the Ralph's Shopping Center? Raise your hands. Okay, maybe about a fourth of you. How many of you go back further to when we were on Vulcan? Okay, uh, maybe a dozen of you. How many of you go beyond Vulcan back to the YMCA? Wow, wow. See, see that, that, <laughs> it gives you a perspective because three to five years from now, uh, 
there are going to be people, even though I'll be on staff, uh, they'll say, who's Mark Foreman? Because <laughs> this journey goes on, you see? It gives you perspective that there are people that joined and you weren't a part of it. Uh, you, you don't go back to Ralph's or you don't go back to Vulcan. By the way, Vulcan, doesn't that sound like Star Trek or something? <laughs> it's, actually, it's a street in Encinitas. There's a lot of those kind of streets in Encinitas. So um, it gives you perspective that, that this is a time of change, but this is a, not a time uh, to back down. This is a time to lean in because how many hundreds of people does Jesus Christ want to reach? that aren't a part of the flock yet. This isn't a time to circle up the wagons. This is a time to press on and to see what God has for us. So many of you have started at different journeys, but we're all now on the same journey together. In just a moment, I'm going to turn my attention from you to specifically to Ryan, who's sitting here in the front row, and we're going to change seats uh, in, in a bit here as the service goes on. But for some of us, when we turn a page of change, change isn't easy. I read a book years ago called Who, Who's Moved My Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? And it was about a bunch of mice getting upset with who is ever moving their cheese. They're running around in the maze trying to find the cheese. And I've realized over the years that some people thrive on change. They love, yeah, move my cheese again. I love that game. And then there's other people that say, no, don't disturb anything in my life. I love my house. I love my bed. I love my job. I love, I, I, in fact, I eat everything the same. Don't change anything. But if you look back, uh, we all do change. We all went to kindergarten and we decided we were going to graduate, at least most of us. And... Uh, and then we went through school and we graduated. Maybe some of you went to college. Some of you got married. Some of you had kids. Some of you have kids that have moved. Change is a part of life. And we are experiencing change right now. I love the fact that there's a transition happening and I get to be a part of the transition. I'm not dead. And you're sitting there saying, wow, it would have been nice to, for Mark to have seen this. And, and I've seen a, a, a few pastors do that. You know, their church grows like this, and then it grows right back down, and he dies. And that's not the way I want to do it. I want to be a part of the next generation and to see the next people that are going to say, remember, maybe, what if we, we build the ultimate auditorium someday? And, and Ryan is going to ask, how many of you were a part of us when we only met in the family center? And you're going to raise your hand. So God is at work. You're with me so far? This is an exciting time, and I'm privileged uh, as a track runner to hand the baton off to Ryan at the close of this service. So, Ryan... I turn my attention on to you, and uh, you are about to become lead pastor. Uh. 
Now, when they named me senior pastor, I was about your age, and I thought, ooh, senior. Um, so I decided I was not going to be senior, and I didn't like the word head pastor because it sounded too authoritarian. Uh, I wanted to just be lead pastor because it implies that I'm running the race with them, you know, that I'm a sheep, they're sheep, and we're running this race together, but... Uh, I'm responsible as lead pastor. And so that's your role. And as you take on this new role, I want to remind you that you're primarily a feeder. That's where the term pastor comes from. It's the Latin word to graze. So um, when you hear the term, it's a very pastoral scene. What they're talking about, it's, it's a kind of scene you'd see sheep in, you know, it's... it's it's got grass. And so you're the feeder. You're the pastor that's leading the sheep. And you and I have talked extensively over the last several years about what it means to be a pastor. We, we meet weekly, if not twice a week or three times a week, but to have conversations to pray. What does this mean? How would you do this? And we've had all these talks but this is my last talk to you. And then afterwards, when I come back from sabbatical, we're going to still meet monthly, we decided. Uh, he's going to be the Jedi. I'll be Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> like it, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're going to be the pastor. So let me direct some words to you from the passage that Buzz just read us. I think it's just a, a, an incredible passage. And I went, I, I gleaned five or six, I can't remember the number, but truths that I, even though we're talking in the passage of John 10 that we just heard, it's about Jesus. He's the good shepherd. No one else is ever going to be Jesus. No one else is going to be the great good shepherd. But it's great to learn from that as we are under shepherds of Jesus, right? So there's some principles here I want you to think about, Ryan, as you take on this huge responsibility and the calling that you told me years ago that even though when you were working at InterVarsity, you told me, Mark, I feel like my ultimate calling is to be a pastor. And then four years ago, you came on staff as a pastor, and now here you are. So... My advice to you, first of all, from this passage is be a shepherd who has the sheep's best interest in mind, not your own. Verse 8 says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Then verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I, on the other hand, have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So Jesus here is presenting himself juxtaposed to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, if you look at verse 1 and you look at verse 6, you realize the Pharisees are not only to whom Jesus is talking to, but he's talking about them. Many times, Jesus' teachings, all the way back to the Beatitudes, when he says, blessed are you, blessed are you, he's counterpointing the life that the Pharisees and the scribes have lived, and he's offering a new way 
to do God the right way, the true way, the values of heaven. And he calls the scribes and Pharisees, even though in their minds they see themselves as righteous, religious people, he calls them thieves, robbers, and wolves. And if you think about what a thief or a robber or a wolf would be doing is they have a different motive. They have a different agenda than the good shepherd. The good shepherd, it says in the text, that he ushers us into abundant life, true life. And that's what we all want, right? That's why we signed up to follow Jesus. These other people offer what appears to be a good life true life and some of us read about it online we we watch podcasts and everybody's talking about the good thing that they can do for us but as an under shepherd to the good shepherd your calling is to have the sheep's best interest in mind not your own not your own agenda uh, nothing like that and and to examine your motives is this for my own ego is this for my own position or notoriety? Is this for my own financial gain? They're all kind of pointing back to pride, aren't they? It's really the wolf, the thief, and the, ro and the robber is really using the sheep, which means they're using God. And your, yours and my position is never to use God for what we want, but be an instrument uh, for God's ends. And his ends are the, what's best for the sheep. So, like Jesus, for starters, be a shepherd who has the best interests of the sheep in mind. Secondly, honor the gate. Jesus is the way of salvation. Look at verse 8 again. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. As much as we would like to think in this postmodern world that there are many roads to the top of the mountain, and that would make everybody happy, um, there is only one gate. It, it means two things, that the, the road is narrow, the gate is narrow. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But it also means that we can't create other obstacles for people to go through to get into heaven. That it's just one obstacle. What are you going to do with Jesus? And religion is often placed many, many, you've got to vote like me, you've got to look like me, you've got to dress like me, you've got to stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight like me. And, and we create these little clones of me, and everybody's got to do and believe and say exactly what I think. But the moment that a sinner walks through the door, the one issue is what do I do with the gate? Will I go through the gate, or will I create God in my own image? And I don't bag on other religions, as you know. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that Hinduism existed because it created a culture of moral values that in, in a country, in a region that was pre-Christ. I'm glad that Buddhism 
existed, it created a culture and values and morals in a region that would not have had those morals. And thank, thankfully, there's these wonderful morals throughout the world. But as I, as I, as a teenager, was weighing all these things out, I realized that religion is just like buying a car. It's good, better, best. So I don't have to bag on all these things. I'm just thinking, okay, just like Judaism had its way in preparing people for Christ, now we've gone from good to better to best. And there's only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ died for your sins and my sins. So I want to charge you to be a protector of the gate that those that enter through it discover eternal life. They are saved. Honor this simple but profound gate. Thirdly, lay down your life. You are here for the sheep, not the sheep for you. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Remember the cross? The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he amscrams. He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away. Why? Because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So this third charge is to never be a hireling. Lay down your life for the sheep. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be easy. I got an email yesterday. You know, and people have their opinions. And they often don't share it in nice ways. <laughs> Suck it up, baby. <laughs> You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be re rejected and sometimes betrayed. But it's nothing that Jesus Christ hasn't gone and done. He went to the cross for you and me. Mothers, how inconvenient are children? <laughs> Think of all the crises that you've had throughout your life. Did your children ever schedule a crisis with you? Aren't they always, by definition, inconvenient? You never say, oh, honey, I see we're going to have a crisis at 2 o'clock on Wednesday. We've got to make time for that, right? In the same way, Ryan, the crisis of the flocks are never going to be convenient for you. And just as we experienced last night, we had a death in the church, and it was painful, And I had to call Ryan and say, you know, this is going to be a messy week dealing with this. And it's part of the joy, but it's part of the job to lay down your life for the sheep. Next, know your sheep well. And you do this good, Ryan. C.S. Lewis said, if you're going to write a book, then you've got to do the hard work and answer letters 
Uh, this is when people wrote letters. You know, some of you <laughs> never seen one before, but uh, <laughs> when they wrote letters and you had to respond, and he and his brother Warney would split all the letters and, and respond because he said, if you're gonna get in the in the ring. Uh, if you're going to be in the kitchen, it's going to get hot, and you've got to answer every letter. It was just part of his ethics. And I think the same is true of being a pastor. You cannot just be up here. You have to be in the courtyard. And I've seen many pastors of large churches just go out the back door, and they're never with the people. But I believe our calling is to know the sheep and to know them well. Amen, Nick? I heard that. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know the sh my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. One of the blessings we love, love about Jesus that we see in Scripture, you know, the red print in the Gospels, is Jesus talking one-on-one -on -one to people. Uh, these disciples, he's calling them one-on-one. -on -one. He's healing Peter's, Peter's heart at the end of his ministry. He's having a conversation with Mary. He's having another conversation with Mary Magdala. He's having another conversation with the woman who had the issue of blood. He's having another conversation with Zacchaeus. These one-on-one -on -one conversations. And Ryan, it's the way you and I stay in touch with our flock. This world is changing. It's got multiple cultures, uh, multiple ages, multiple ethnicities. And, and the only way we can intuitively preach to everybody so that everybody gets it is to know our flock. I love it when a, uh, an elementary school kid will come up to me and he said, I understood everything. And I said, yes, because I've always told our pastors, if you can't teach children, then you can't teach adults. It's true, just saying. Um, so know your flock and lay down your life for the flock. Number, uh, what number are we at? Four. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Feed them a rich diet but only from the word of God. Verse 4, his sheep follow him because they know his voice, the voice of scripture, the voice of the word of God, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The way sheep thrive is the word of God. I mean, I have had every experience under the book uh, with the Holy Spirit and, and experiences, but what has caused me to really grow is the Word of God. I love all the things, the rich things that are available, the fellowship, everything. But what has caused me to grow is to read something challenging from the Bible or to have a preacher preach something from the Bible. And, oh my gosh, the Word of God is sharp and powerful and, and, and sharper than a, a two-edged sword, cutting between bone and marrow. <laughs> I think, oh. Wow, I needed that. Because our tendency is to shape God in our image rather than letting God shape us into his image. So, Ryan, cherish the word of God. I've made it a practice to not just prepare a devotional and not just prepare a sermon, but have a study going on that is only for me. 
because you're still a sheep. And so cherish and study and unfold the scriptures and hold this pulpit sacred. It is not yours. It is not mine. By the way, he may change this table. <laughs> this, is, this is not mine, my precious. This is, this, is, this is just furniture. So when I talk about the pulpit, I'm speaking figuratively. That when a person opens the Bible, we are mere mouthpieces for what's in Scripture. I may have opinions politically. It's not for here. I may have a beautiful uh, poem I've written. It's not for here. I may have a, a beautiful or whatever. Uh, we, we have Mars Hill. We have other events outside of here. But when you stand before the people claiming to be opening the word of God, it has to be the word of God. It can't even be my best psychology. As a sheep, I have to let down my guard and know that you haven't adulterated and mixed a few things in from the latest philosophy book, psychology book, political book. You're not mixing. You're giving me the pure truth, and I get to apply it in my life. So be a student, and as John Stott said, um, Ryan knows who he is. He was a very famous Anglican preacher that um, traveled into the U.S., and I got to hear him speak many, many times. One of those speakers that was as boring as all get out, but with bifocals and monotone, but every word was a cannon into my heart. And he said, the preacher is responsible for getting the goods across the bridge. That a preacher has to know the ancient culture, language, and this culture, this language, and to get the Bible across the bridge. Isn't that a good image? And Ryan, I think you do it well. Uh, it, but stick with that. And so my charge there is don't be a talk radio voice, don't be a podcast voice, a popular culture voice, a political voice, or even a cathartic voice where you just cathart about your emotions. Uh, this is a sacred place for Jesus. Feed them the rich diet, but only from the word of God. And then finally, find the lost sheep. It says here in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. <laughs> I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about the Gentiles that are going to come in because his whole audience there is Jewish. And he's saying, ah, there's some sheep missing. But he told us another parable in Luke 15, and that is the parable of the lost sheep. It's sandwiched between the parable of the lost coin and the one we love all so much, the prodigal son. Aren't we all prodigals? So in the parable that's sandwiched between those two, it's the parable of the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the missing sheep.
And sometimes the sheep were just innocently wandering. And sometimes the sheep were not innocently just out sinning. And sometimes the sheep, sheep just didn't want Jesus anymore. But the good shepherd goes out looking for the sheep. And builds relationship with them and brings them back. And the good shepherd welcomes sinners. He told that parable in the context, again, of the Pharisees. I love the verse in verse 15. By the way, Ryan's listening because I keep throwing things out that weren't in the first service. So <laughs> I see him bend down and write. Um, so in Luke 15, listen to this. I love the NIV translation. They muttered. Isn't that a great word? Muttered. The, the Pharisees muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a thing to mutter. You know, non-Christians never say this. It's Christians. Get it? We get all sanctified and before you know it we would never be around them and we forget our calling we forget our calling and the reason why we're on planet earth and not just worshiping Jesus in heaven it's because there are other sheep that need to be a part of this sheepfold as well and I think and you think that we are going to see a harvest that we haven't experienced yet where hundreds and hundreds of people discover Jesus. But it takes us as pastors to listen to the, this word. It takes us to love sinners, not just put up with them. You with me, guys? But to love them. Think of the gap that God crossed to save you and how many times have you heard me say this thing I'm going to say again that Jesus crossed the infinite gap between heaven and earth the, the infinite gap between eternity and the temporality the infinite gap between divinity and humanity all because of love for God so loved the world that he gave he crossed the gap and so what is that gap to go to your neighbor's house, but they're a sinner. I heard the party last night. <laughs> but I know what they do. Of course they do that. They don't have God. They don't have Jesus. So what are they going to do? And who were you before you met Jesus? And if we said, well, I was always in church, remember that the worst sinners in the Bible were church people. They were Pharisees. So we've all been sinners and are sinners, and our calling is to be salt and light to the world. And Ryan, as the pastor here, never forget your love for the lost. And never forget, Ryan, the day you, as a 17-year-old, walked through the door of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Monday night, and you heard great glory, preached the gospel, and it was fresh to your ears. You heard it for the first time. So that's your mantle. 
to love and to win the lost and find the, the lost sheep. So with that, Ryan, I want you to come up here and I want in front of the congregation to charge you with 10 things that God has put on my heart. Mm. Yeah. So Ryan, do you purpose to love and serve God and guard your heart from other influences? I do. Do you purpose to pray faithfully, and to hear his voice, and intercede for this flock? I do. Do you purpose to love and shepherd and disciple this church? I do. Do you purpose to love the lost, sinners, and outsiders as you preach the good news? I do. Do you purpose to be a servant leader who leads humbly and collegially by your life? I do. Do you purpose to feed the flock of God and keep the pulpit sacred for his holy word? I do. Do you purpose to learn and live the values of Jesus and lead this church with Jesus style? Absolutely. <laughs> do you purpose to learn? Excuse me. Do you purpose to serve your wife and family as part of your flock? Most definitively. Do you purpose to follow the Apostle Paul's example by being inclusive with Jews and Gentiles, by being a pastor of all ages? in all races. I do. And do you purpose to lead this church outwardly as salt and light to the community? Absolutely. With that, I commission you to be the lead pastor of North Coast Calvary Chapel. What a great day. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask if I can have some of our pastoral staff and our board of directors that are here to come on stage. And Ryan, we're gonna pray for you. And while they're coming on stage, let me just remind you, at the close of this service, uh, Ryan is just gonna speak to us for five minutes. We're gonna close the service with communion, but after that, uh, I'm going to go on sabbatical. And uh, I already have my sabbatical socks on. Um, and, and then at the end of that time, I'm going to be back here at church. 
I'm going to occasionally be in the pulpit preaching, if you'll have me. And I am going to be mentoring our pastors on staff and other pastors in the community that I have relationship with. And, and that's going to be my new role. I'm going to be grandpa. And, uh, and this guy is going to pay all the bills. <laughs> so nothing could be better. Now, the people that you see in front of you are, are friends of mine. I mean, we're lifers together. And we were just reminiscing uh, that we have a, a reputation as a church of never losing staff. Uh, everyone wants to work here forever uh, because it's the DNA of who we are. And we respect each other and uh, we're, we're adult to adults in our relationship with each other. But equally, uh, some of these people are board members and I have the same relationship with them. A lot of pastors don't like their boards. As I have a board meeting, you know, and it's like, I love our board. Um, they're not yes people. They challenge me. They challenge ideas. They ask about this, that, and the other thing. But um, they're people that have an important role in this church. And I've asked uh, if some of them would pray for you, Ryan. So I'm going to ask you to kneel. Not before us, but before God. And uh, we're going to gather around, team. And uh, we're going to pray and lay hands on Ryan. Wonderful, Lord. What a, what a moment it is to be here celebrating together this, this time, all that you're doing. And Father, as we stand here, we do celebrate and hold in high regard um, Mark and Jan and their years here. Lord, if we can see anything at all as we squint looking towards the horizon, it's because we stand on the shoulders of giants. So Lord, I know there'll be a time to do that and to dwell on that, but we make mention of that. And Father, we now with such joy come around Ryan and Stacy. Father, I thank you for him as a, as a brother. Father, I, I thank you for him as a leader, as my pastor. This is a wonderful moment, Lord. Uh, these words that Mark has charged him with, we ask that there will be a currency to them, that he will dwell on them. And Father, as you, um, as you said of, of David in Psalm 78, Lord, that, um, that Ryan would shepherd us, your people, with integrity of heart and with skillful hands that he would lead us. Mm. With integrity of heart, Lord Jesus, and skillful hands. Provide all that he needs, Lord. Fill him up with your spirit till it's just overflowing. Let him not ever, mm. not even, not even once, uh, eat yesterday's bread. Mm. Mm. Let him not feed okay. yesterday's bread to anyone else, Lord. Mm. Let him be collecting each morning. Give him that delight. Mm. Father, we purpose as 
um, a congregation and as a staff, we uh, purpose our hearts to be lifting his arms. Father, when, uh, when he grows tired, we shall lift his arms. But fill him, Lord Jesus, fill him to overflowing. Let it be a delight, even in the things, and there are hard things, Lord, we, yes. uh, we speak to that, that even at those times, Father, there will be a deeper delight, knowing that he is serving you, his Lord and his King, the one that he loves, in Jesus' name. Yes. Lord, thank you. Is this working? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord, thank you that um, you dream with us, Mm. that you speak to us in visions and dreams, and we see that example in Solomon when you came to him in the night and asked him what he wanted, and Solomon asked for a discerning heart, Mm. a wise heart to lead the people because he felt so inexperienced and so young to do so. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for how you have given Ryan Uh, this call in his life, this dream, this vision long ago, Mm -hmm. that he would one day not just lead thousands and thousands of college students, but that he would lead and pastor a church. He didn't know how that would happen. Mm -hmm. And today it's happening. Mm -hmm. We thank you that this started long before we had any idea Mm -hmm. and that we all get to witness this incredible transition, this Mm -hmm. passing of the baton as Mark has um, coined it, and what a privilege and what an honor to be here today and to be a part of this story that you're writing. Mm-hmm. And we thank you so much for Ryan's humble heart and his desire to lead, similar to Solomon wanting that wisdom and that discerning heart. We thank you, Lord, that that is Ryan's heart as well. Mm-hmm. And um, also, I want to lift up the beautiful Pfeiffer family. Um, mm-hmm. We love them, Lord. Thank you that Ryan and Stacy love one another and love you so much. And um, yes, we pray for their marriage. We pray for mm-hmm. a huge hedge of protection. Yes. We pray that they'd always know that the one they serve most besides you is one another mm-hmm. and that they hold each other's hands as in the years to come mm-hmm. and yes. hold tight as they continue to lean on each other and on you as they do the work you're calling them to here. And for Diego and Ramon and Celia, Lord, we lift them up to you. We thank you for the seeds that you've planted deep in their hearts to follow you and know you. We pray for this community of thousands of people who love them and are there for them. And as they continue to grow and mature and go off into the various lives you have for them, the plans and the future that you've built for them, that they would always, Lord, be part of that parade playing their cymbals, their trombones, singing their new song to you daily, that others would know you, Lord, because of the community and the word that you've implanted in them through their parents and through this community. We love you and thank you for that. And Lord, continue to work in this church. We want to be that transformed, um, those transformed people transforming our world, yet we know that there are parts of our lives that aren't converted yet that still need to be changed and transformed and so thank you for this fresh new word that you give us daily this manna that we get to eat and grow from one another and this community and that we would be that we would be that unified body that so the world will know that lord you did send your son and you did usher in this new kingdom thank you for the leadership at this church the deep leadership that surrounds ryan thank you that mark's not going anywhere um 
And I thank you for your love for all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And Father, uh, as a pastor here, I lay my hands on Ryan, uh, asking you to lay the mantle of your Holy Spirit on him to be our leader, to be uh, a man who hears your voice, to be a man who, who has your heart, to be a man who loves the lost, to be a man who feeds us as a flock. And God, just as the patriarchs laid their hands on their sons, just as Moses to Joshua and Elijah to Elisha and you, Jesus, to the disciples, blessing them. Paul to Timothy, God, I lay my hands on him, asking you to put the mantle on his shoulders. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And now, Ryan, uh, you are the lead pastor, and uh, I said I was going to hand you the baton, <laughs> or as they say in England, the baton. <laughs> so it says, to Ryan Pfeiffer, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, John 10, 11, from Mark Foreman, commissioning Sunday, August 14th, 2022. God bless you, man. And now, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take my seat right down here. Uh, and, and listen to my pastor. Thanks, Mark. Um, let me give a shout out to the tent people and chapel online. So glad you're with us. Uh, this moment brings a memory to mind. I remember this moment uh, staying on this cliff, 50 foot cliff jump. We were Bunch of high school kids wanting to jump. One of those friends is here with me today. Actually, the guy who led me to Christ is here in the room right now. Come on. Right there. Facing Lamillier. And we were so nervous about making this jump. And a bunch of young guys just kind of freaking out, trying to muster the courage. And this guy just jumps off his boat, swims over, climbs the cliff. And this guy was older than us, and he's just showing a bunch of young bucks how it's done. And he goes, this is how you do it. And he just cannonballs off this 50-foot cliff and just jumps right, dives right into the ocean. Uh, Mark, you have been that, you're that cannonball guy, showing, showing me what it looks like to dive into this crazy world of pastoring a church. I want to thank you for your example. I want to thank you for your humility. 
I want to thank you for a process that's been so peaceful. And I want to thank you for a church that is so hungry for God's word. I can just see you on the edge of your seat wanting to hear what God has to say to you that day. And that just, you can't underestimate what that means to a, a preacher. And thirdly, for handing off to me a, a staff that is like a family. And I'm grateful for what you have entrusted to my care. Thank you, Mark. Um, I want to frame this moment here just with a little bit of scripture. I got to use the scripture. I'm a preacher. This is how it goes. So here we go. Listen to this scripture because I feel like Paul in this passage in 1 Corinthians 3 really frames this moment that we're in right now to help us really see what's going on because more than this is just a handoff of leadership for Mark to me, this is there's something bigger going on here that involves all of us. So listen to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been the one making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Come on. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is now building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. What a passage. Isn't that perfect? It just speaks so poignantly to this moment. And I want to just highlight just a few things on how it speaks to us today. Number one, I just love the way he begins by describing himself. We are only servants. The great apostle Paul, this guy who wrote letters of the New Testament that would last for thousands of years, saying, I am only a servant. And in that moment, he teaches us something so important about the church that I hope we're all seeing right here. And that is that the church is bigger than any one person or personality. And Mark, with your humility, the way that you have handed off leadership, the way that you have committed to sitting in the seat and listening to me teach, and the most crazy, absurd thing of all that you call me your pastor, it just shows all of us that there is something bigger here than any one of us. And that's because this is God's church. And we are all equally a part of this church. We are all equally servants. A couple of the ways I've seen this in our church, the way that Mark developed a teaching team, it's not just about one voice or one personality. Mark, you have kept the integrity of the early church. This is God's church. And not only am I a servant or Mark, but we are all servants together. And every one of us in this room is being entrusted with a sacred trust. It's not just about me being handed a baton, but I feel like this moment represents a moment for us as a community in which God is entrusting to us the good work that he is about to do in this next season of our church. 
Because this transition of leadership is a transition, a threshold we're crossing into a new season of fruitfulness and harvest because there's a new generation that needs to hear the gospel. And God is entrusting that generation to this community. Secondly, God's building. In verse 9, he says this is God's building, God's field, or God's temple. And I, it reminds me of a teaching that Mark gave where he compared the church like a cathedral. Do we have the cathedral slide? And he was talking about how a cathedral, they take years to build. It took 182 years to build Notre Dame, which means it outlasted any one generation. It took one generation to hand it off to the next generation, to faithfully entrust it to the next generation in order to complete the good work that God had given to them. And I feel like that's exactly what God is doing with us as a church. Listen to what Mark said. He goes, we are building a long-range Christianity that is going to live on beyond us. And it's not just Mark, it's living beyond Mark. God's given all of us a role in this church to hand God's ministry to us, to the next generation. And God wants you a part of that. But this is a long-range job. And there's another generation coming up that we all have to reach out to. And we have to hand it off to. The greatest and the most unreached generation in American history is before us. The most unchurched generation in American history is before us. And God is anointing and calling us together to reach that generation. And we're going to do that together. And it's going to take every one of us to do it together. Thirdly, God's foundation, my favorite verse. Let's go back to verse 11. It's the verse that made me want to read this whole passage. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. <laughs> Jesus is the foundation of we live in a time where we're seeing things change so fast. The rate of change is accelerating with every year. And as much as things are changing, and many things need to change, there is only one thing that never has, never will, and must never change, and that is the fact that every generation needs Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, he is the same today and forever, and you will never find a generation that does not need Jesus Christ. And together, we're going to bring this generation the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we're going through the gospel of Mark. Can you hand me that book, babe? Thank you, sweetie. And that's why we're going to spend all fall and up to Easter going through the gospel of Mark. It is to establish firmly in our minds that the future of this church and this next season of ministry is on that foundation. So we are just going to soak in Jesus' life. We're going to study his life line by line, word by word, phrase by phrase, and ask ourselves, Jesus, how can I live this out in my life today? Because this next generation needs Jesus more than ever. So get your book, come on, get your book, get your book. And secondly, because there is no other name under heaven. Listen, Acts chapter four, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we not can be saved, might be saved, should be saved, must be saved. 
And so I just want to ask you, will you join me and together can we bring the name of Jesus to the next generation? Will we do this together? And will we believe that we have a part in that? It doesn't matter where we're at in our journey. God has a role for every one of us. And this next generation needs every one of us on the field. I want to invite the worship team to come on up on stage. And as these guys get on stage, uh, this moment is a moment of like a commitment and consecration. Where you're not committing yourself to me as the new lead pastor. It's about us together committing ourselves once again with fresh hearts to Jesus as our Savior, as our shepherd, and with all of our hearts to go after this next generation and to search for those lost sheep. Because the word of God says the harvest is plentiful, it's the laborers that are few. So look around for, just look around for a minute. There are more people out there who don't know Christ that God wants to bring into this room than are in this room. Can you imagine if for every one of us, someone new came to faith and joined our church because of the prayers, because of the gracious words, because of the honest truth that we were bringing to this world. Mark's generation saw a renewal movement called the Jesus Movement, where untold numbers of people, people who others never thought would ever bend their knee to the name of Jesus, they saw those people in tears, bending to the name above all names. And there, we are on the precipice of a new harvest, a new work of God, because the best is not behind us. The best is yet to come. So I just want to invite you to dedicate yourself anew to that new harvest. Come on, you can applause that. And so as we uh, do communion right now, so you can get your little cup, Taking communion today is a reaffirmation of that central truth. What Jesus did on the cross, yes, it was a display of God's love and mercy, no doubt. The greatest display in human history, but it was a definitive statement that there is no other way to save humanity. And so God sent his son to do what nobody else could do. And so as we take this communion, we're doing it as a reaffirmation that God has entrusted to us a message that the world is desperate to hear. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he tore it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And in the breaking of his body, it was so that you might be restored in right relationship to God and the brokenness of your life, no matter how deep, no matter how traumatic, might be healed and that you might be restored as a son and daughter of God again. And so as we eat of this, let's eat this in remembrance of our Savior who died for us. Let's eat. up a cup of wine and he said this is my this wine represents my blood blood of the new covenant 
And if you drink this, you are receiving the forgiveness of all your sin, meaning there is nothing that has been done to you or that you could ever do that can separate you from God's love for you and from the fulfilling of every good purpose that God has put and invested in your life. Let's drink this in remembrance of our Lord. Lord, we remember you today. Pray that you would fill us afresh with your forgiving grace. Make us your light and salt in the world and give us eyes to see the harvest that is before us. The greatest harvest that the world has ever seen is yet to come. And we pray, give us eyes to see it and to get in the field and to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name. All right, now I'm gonna give you a blessing. I'm gonna wrap this thing up and have some food. But before I do that, I wanna invite my family to come on up, my, my, my wife and my kids. And uh, my wife. Okay. Now, I don't want you to think next Sunday when you don't see me here, you think I freaked out and ran. I did not. I am taking this guy right here to college. So we're all going to fly out next week all the way out to D.C. I'm taking my Daniel to the lion's den, and this guy is going to take the light of God out there to be praying for us. Uh, so, but then I'll be back, and we're going to just go, we're going to tear up the gospel of Mark. We're going to have a blast. So thank you, guys. Um, I want to thank you for all the ways many of you have just been supporting my family, have been friends to my family, have been family to us, and thank you you got the prayer card, thank you in advance for praying for my family. Thank you. All right. Staff, come on, P&Ds, get up here. We're going to lay a blessing and get out of here. Come on, let's do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is my second born, Ramon. Jewel of my life, my little girl, Sobel. All right, we're going to extend a hand. We're going to extend a hand to you. You can extend a hand back to us as I just proclaim the blessing of God from Numbers chapter 6. So let's, let's bless one another because uh, that's what it's all about. So let's stand and join me. Good advice. All right, always give. Just a little taste of the future. I'll still need that. All right, let's put our hands towards each other, everybody. You to us, us to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May he turn his face toward us. May you, Lord, may you give us your peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, let's have some refreshments. See you outside.